My name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of a Minor Detail podcast. Several of the Montgomery County Board of Education candidates are joining a Minor Detail podcast for the first time to discuss their candidate platforms and the issues that will inevitably decide the future of our local education system. Dr. Sunil Desgupta is an at-large candidate for the Montgomery County Board of Education. He joins me now. Two in a row tonight. <laughs> Lots of candidates for the Montgomery County Board of Education race, and it's exciting because we can talk and have an honest, open, intellectual discussion. I want to welcome Dr. Sunil Desgupta. I said your name correctly, right? Correct. Thank you. That's great. Yes. Okay. You are an at-large candidate for the Montgomery County Board of Education. And as I've mentioned to the other candidates who have appeared on the podcast that I believe the 2020 Montgomery County Board of Education race is likely and perhaps the most important race on the ballot this year uh, in Montgomery County. Um, and, I agree. Yeah. So I want to begin by talking about you. So I'd like for you to introduce yourself to the voters and the taxpayers and students and teachers, and many of them I'm sure already know you. And I'd like to talk to you about how you arrived at your decision to run for the Board of Education. So it, I'm going to send it over to you. Okay. Um, so Ryan, I came to the United States. I'm a first-generation immigrant. I came to the United States uh, in 1995, 1996. Um, with, uh, you know, I started with $1,500 in my pocket, and then my watch broke in Amsterdam. I had to buy this, this <laughs> watch. Uh, and... Um, and I had with me, the only other thing I had with me was a letter uh, of admission to the University of Illinois. Wow. Um, and I um, got my MA and PhD from there. Um, and um, then I came to um, Washington because I got a job at Brookings Institution. Uh, I wrote my dissertation actually there. I met my wife there. Um, I, then I got a job at Georgetown University uh, in 2009. I moved to, uh, I got a job at UMBC, uh, but running the political science program um, at the universities of Shady Grove. And well, if you look around, you'll see all of my, uh, my books on uh, politics. <laughs> I got quite a collection. So. Yes, you do. Yeah, and I've, I've read most of these, and like, I'm a, I, love to, I love hard copy books. Good, and as a good. professor, I'm sure you could appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I don't read online. I can't. Uh, I can't, no. And so when my students read, tell me that they're reading online, I tell them no, no, no. Please buy the book. Yeah. And you know, I usually assign I I assign few books because books are expensive. Yeah. Um, and so I tell them always to buy a printer. Yeah. Uh, and 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 go and uh, uh, get that. Uh, do it that way. Uh, I, I cannot retain anything when I uh, read online. I have to have a physical paper copy in yeah. front of me. Um, let me ask you how you've talked a little bit about about your background. If you have a fascinating story, how did you arrive at this decision to run for the Board of Education? Right. Like most people, I got involved in schools because one of my kids fell through the cracks. Um, and as I investigated that more, uh, I found three things at that time. One was that um, teachers were burning out. And that's exactly what happened with my daughter. Her teacher in her classroom burnt out essentially that year. And maybe it was in three, four months, five months into the school year. She went on leave and then she, you know, um, she quit. Wow. Um, and 
My daughter, meanwhile, fell from uh, a 95 percentile on her MAP score in the fall to 67 percentile in the winter administration of MAP score. And of course, I began to investigate what on earth happened here. And as I investigated more, I found out more. I found out that the home and school partnership uh, didn't quite work as advertised because nobody told us about this until I went looking. Um, I, you know, found that um, students were stressed. Uh, I found that teachers were stressed. Uh, and so uh, I became a PTA president. I became Rockville Cluster Coordinator. I became um, the health and safety chair for uh, MCCPTA, the Montgomery County Council of PTAs. And I don't know if you recall, uh, it was November of 27, November of 2017, yes, November of 2017 when we had three deaths by suicide. Um, And we all knew that we had to do something to address the underlying mental health crisis uh, in the county, uh, youth mental health crisis. And April of 22nd, 2018, I brought together uh, MCPS, um, the Department of Health and Human Services, um, providers, uh, parents, staff, students, and organized the first mental health and wellness forum uh, at Gaithersburg High School. Wow. 200 people showed up. It was a sunny day. Uh, and. Um, I decided never again to compete with the sun. And so 2019, we did it again uh, in January, and more than 300 people showed up. We did it again in 2020 this year in January. Again, more than 300 people showed up. We had a special workshop uh, for principals. We had uh, mental health first aid training on the side. So, you know, um, the fact is that a lot of our uh, needs are not be, were not being met. Uh, students' needs are not being met, uh, and you know, according to Kerwin, we are you know sh- not funding our schools to the tune of four hundred eighty-eight million dollars. Now, that's a different. It's a different. It depends on how you count, but still, there is real, real issues that that we need to fix. We need to fund fully fund our schools, but also we need to balance the way you know our operating and capital budgets and how we are spending to figure out you know, whether we are doing it correctly or not. So my decision to run really came about as a result of frustration with MCPS. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm in unique in this, right? I think most people decide to run because there's something Well, in there's the some system. spark, right? There has to be some significant moment, uh, pivotal moment, where they say, I'm going to do it. I have to do it. Well, it yeah. So I uh, we formed a political committee December seventeenth hmm. of twenty nineteen. I mean, it wasn't that you know that long ago, yeah. um, and I had never run before for anything. Um, so from you know leaving my basement office, essentially my you know, little <laughs> uh, office, and then sort of putting myself out in the public was 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 quite something. Um, I would say the one other thing that was in the back of my mind is that with the election uh, with the election of uh, President Trump in 2016, I personally started to feel a little bit unsafe. I was wondering if I'm walking down the street, is somebody going to call the police, and then I, you know, I'll disappear. <laughs> but it was sort of irrational, I, I admit. But still, I had this in my back of my mind. I don't think that's irrational. I think that as an immigrant, that uh, this president has had uh, has taken some. Um, 
positions that are really antithetical to who we are as a country. Right, but it's not my community. But it's a different. So yes, I did feel that, and so you know, one of the things I did, had decided at that time is that. You know, the way to stop anybody from calling the police is to get to know everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's uh, that's that's certainly one way. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, so all these things sort of came together, yeah. and and in December '99, I asked my wife. She said, "Okay." <laughs> and then you gotta we, get you gotta get the wife's permission to sign off on the well, idea. Honestly, I had to get my kids. My I have two yeah. kids, right? And they are all participatory, <laughs> to put it politely. <laughs> they all like to participate in uh, in 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 our decisions, yeah. right? So that's uh, good. You in, you incorporated your family, and that's that's how, that's how it should be. Yeah, yeah. And so 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 that's how we came to it. Uh, I think uh, we have a um, the things that we stand for are important. Um, I would so the top three things that I would like to do are hire more teacher staff and counselors to re- sort of address the class size issue. We talk about it, we say this, we talk about performance gap, we talk about all kinds of things, but until and unless we have enough teachers teaching, enough staff in the building, enough counselors to take care of our kids, we are not gonna be able to do this. That's the first thing. The second thing I think we have to focus really on is invest in the mental health of students and staff. Um, you know, we think about, again, we think about performance gap as if it's sort of a one thing. But really, there's a deep connection, I think, between mental health and uh, how we do uh, and academic performance. Sure. So unless and until we address mental health, how are we going to address performance gap, right? And the third thing that I would like to really um, do, uh, achieve, is to sort of rebuild the home and school partnership. I think, you know, when is the last time you saw your kids go to public school? Right? They do, yes. Right. So, when is the last time you had you got to know the teachers well? Yeah, I think it's back to school night. That's it. Yeah, back, back to, to school, school night. night, and then and through email. Yeah, and sometimes through email. But you know, you have you, you went to the uh, parent teacher conference yes. in middle school. It's like speed dating. It it very much so is. You get ten minutes, the bell rings, and then you're off to the next class. Yeah, ten minutes. I I, I got two and a half minutes. For, oh, for te- for teachers, right? You go from one table to another table. And at, you're done. at Frost, it was a little bit different, but yeah, I no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, you don't and, get a whole lot of t- face so, time. So so how how. Do I do I know my te- my kids' teachers? Well, I try extraordinarily hard to do that, and yes, but most parents don't know their teachers, and to no fault of their own. Yeah, no fault of their own. Right. And conversely, teachers don't know parents. Right. So what was suppo- if the home and school partnership is one of the key pillars of academic success? Then what are we doing to put that in? You know, um, to uh, make sure that works. Yeah. I want to talk to you first about the inequities in our school system. Okay. And as you know, that some of these inequities um, include opportunities that are based on incomes of school parents. There's high poverty in some portions of our county. And, sure. Um, schools, some schools have less after-school enrichment options, as well as arts programming. And so some are because of the greater demands of meeting more needs inside of the classroom and like there's teacher turnover of course and there's a higher percentage of first year teachers so um sunil what would you do as a member of our board of education to begin addressing the inequities or the so-called achievement gap 
So the, I think in addressing the issue, when I talk about having more teachers, staff, and counselors, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Right now, we our teachers are stressed. They have difficulty doing what they're expected to do with with the time that they have and the resources that they that they are that they get. They are sometimes not able to build personal relationship with individual students that are critical, I think, to learning. Those, when you have a relationship with the teacher, that's how you learn. That's that's what it, that's how you learn. I mean, I mean, I see my son. He complains about a teacher or that, and I tell him, you know, unless you think highly of your teacher, you're not going to be able to learn from him. And so that kind of relationship has to be developed first. Um, second is, you know, teachers do, don't have the time to call parents if something is going wrong, right? There are so oh, many yeah, kids they're in very class. Busy. There are so many kids in class. S- needs are so high. So we have to think about ways in which we can sort of make their load manageable. And that's why the hiring of more. That's why I'm focused on that. I want to find the resources to be able to do that. And if we do that, I think a significant part of our um, um, sort of performance gap will be addressed. Now, not all of it, but, you know, uh, a, um, a significant part of it. I also, so, you know, um, so we talk about the PTA, for instance, right? Uh, and do you know what is, the, so we talk about parents not going to the PTA. I mean, I've had, as a PTA president, I've gone up to people and they have just turned right around and walked away without saying a word after I said, hey, I'm from the PTA. And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but, but you know, it's, so we think that, you know, Latinos and Asians are not quite represented in PTA uh, leadership positions and all of that. But I think the biggest missing part of the PTA is the T. The teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Where is the T in the BTA? Yeah. I, it's I, totally missing. And and we need to bring teachers back into sort of this relationship with parents, with administrators, with sort of that is, the, I think. Do you hear from teachers in Montgomery County Public Schools who say, we would like to get to know our students' parents, but there just isn't enough time? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I I mean, I now know hundreds of teachers in in Montgomery County, hundreds of parents as well, Mm. right? Thousands of parents. But the thing is that they are reporting over and over again that um, a problem with um, with you know how much they have to do in the time that they have. In so one of the things that the teachers want in this you know bargaining that they're doing right now, and you know that's supposedly not going too well. Um, they want more planning time for their elementary school teachers, which means, you know, they want one more period for Mm -hmm. planning, which means maybe 120 more teachers. So the question really to me is, how are we going to find the money to hire 120 more teachers? And I think I have a plan for it. I sound like a little bit Please, (laughs) sure. But but I have a plan for it. So, so so, uh, you know, um, the boundary analysis and the boundary study has been... Um, sort of controversial right. and and hot. And I was going to ask you about that in a moment. It, but I w- but I'll tell you. But the reason I want to do that is completely instrumental. It is to release money to be able to hire more teacher staff 
So you're saying there's a direct correlation between the boundary analysis and hiring. Absolutely, and direct correlation between the boundary analysis and performance gap. Okay. Right, because if we get more teachers in the classroom, more staff, we are gonna have better performance from from students. So let me walk this back a little bit, right? So we have a situation in this county where first of all, we've gone from a population of 600,000 in 1985 to about 1.2 million today without making any significant system-wide change uh, in, in, uh, in how we assign students, right? We've made changes, but those changes have been limited by cluster uh, and, the change, and, they, and we've also added some choice programs in order to alleviate some imbalances. The, the problem of that is that we have ex- actually exacerbated economic segregation in some ways uh, in the county by doing that, by not doing a, a comprehensive sort of system-wide uh, review. And I'll give you sort of think about it in an abstract example that I have. Is that think about three clusters. They are in line. Cluster one, cluster two, cluster three, right? And cluster one is overcrowded, cluster two is at capacity, and cluster three is under-enrolled. So the problem set for us now is cluster one and cluster three. We don't want to touch cluster two because it's at capacity, right? But if you do system-wide review and adjustment, then you might be able to do move students one to two, two to three, and alleviate some of the concerns that are, oh, you're gonna send my kid across the county. No, I don't think that's at all the plan, but if you do, but conceptually you have to do this sort of system-wide. So now when you do all of this, so we have 10,860 students overcrowded in about half our schools and 9,357 open seats in the other, roughly in the other half of our schools. So we have a capacity problem, but we also have an allocation problem. I am not at all suggesting that we will fill all the 9,000 seats with all the 10,000. I'm suggesting that maybe we get 4,000, maybe we get 5,000, maybe we get 6,000, I don't know. That's what the boundary analysis is supposed to do, right? So once we know, once if we can reduce that need for new building, then look at our capital budget. Our capital budget is worth $1.8 billion, right? To fund that, we have to borrow from the bond market $1.2 billion. For every $100 million we borrow, we have to put away $8 million for debt repayment every year. So if I could reduce my borrowing by $100 million, I could save $8 million right away. And if I could get that in the operating budget, right, by negotiating with county council, by by actually forceful, acting forcefully, then you know how many teachers I can hire with $8 million? Hmm, probably hundreds. Not hundreds, 100. 100. Right, and then if you reduce some of the um, portable use and cut rentals on them, add another couple, uh, two, three million, and we suddenly have the hunt, your money to hire the 120 teachers we need to add the planning time for elementary school teachers in 125 elementary schools in the county. Because we've addressed the boundary analysis, I want to talk a little bit more about that and the how the discussion is being framed. So y- you've answered that you support the boundary analysis, but do you support altering 
the con contiguous boundaries? And would there be any situations where you would support changing non-contiguous boundaries? And do you support the concept of what's called neighborhood schools? I don't want to send my... I, so I don't... First of all, the way the... The way the word term neighborhood schools is used, I am not sure. I don't want to send my kids in buses for long, in long bus rides. That's not what I want. I don't want to send your kids that way. I don't want to send anybody's kids that way. But that's not the point, right? Today, between 35 and 38% of all MCPS students do not currently go to schools that are closest to them. So any process of boundary rationalization that you will undertake will necessarily reduce some commutes and will also increase some commutes. We just don't know that, right? Now, I'll give you a good example of this neighborhood issue, right? My kids go to a school in Aspen Hill, where I live, and we just got, the school just got a $13 million extension because it is overcrowded. Not a mile away is a school that is almost about to lose its third kindergarten teacher because of under-enrollment. Kids from my school and that other school both go to the same pool. Hmm. We are the same neighborhood. Would it have would I have gone to the streets protesting if my kids had gone to the other school instead of getting, uh, instead of, uh, you know, the school getting $13 million in extension? We should have put the $13 million in the school that was under-enrolled and sent our kids there. I'd be happy to do it. That's the way to, that's the way to fix the problem. I think there's parents who are concerned that Let's say if the boundary analysis, when it returns, because we haven't received the study sure, yeah, yet, yeah. and we've paid, what, nearly $500,000 for it. It's uh, somewhere in that range, sure. between four yeah. and 500000 yeah, yeah. uh, Sunil, I think parents are concerned that the concept of busing has been discussed. It's That is a, a term that is used um, within this education discussion. Mm -hmm. So is this something that, you would support or not and how would parents be able to justify if they are if if their if their son or daughter is moved to another district let's just say if it would go through now we haven't heard any any information yet right so so M what mcps does is mcps does i can i'm not defend, i'm not here to defend mcps i think there were many 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 missteps um, in in that process, so in the in the process it, to, to in the way they approached it, I see. In the way that they conducted it, mm -hmm. but my question, my issue is, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater right now, right? Well, Just we've already the, committed, and we have committed. But again, this process needs to go forward in order to have a rational basis for how we assign students, right? Um, that's what I think over time we want to develop, right? And I can explain to you sort of this, you know, the clusters I just said, one, two, three, right? If you do a system-wide review rather than a cluster-limited review, which is what MCP has, has done in the past, then you could move students from cluster one to cluster two and then further on from cluster two to cluster three 
thereby eliminating the possibility of this long commutes that I think makes everybody mad, right? right? The, we don't want, I, I don't think the idea is to make any, everybody mad. Um, I think the idea is to make sure we save money, to make sure that we can hire those teachers. <laughs> I think that's my focus. How on earth am I gonna find that money? Right? But how do you we know, find the money? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So one of the so we shake the tree in the county, shake the trees at the at the state, and hopefully you know the blueprint will pay for some uh, money, and you know, um, and and we we and it's going to make a difference. But as I explained, if we did the boundary changes, if we are able to move students in order to keep up with demographic and population shifts, then we actually can hire more teachers, more counselors, and focus on the mental health of students, rebuild at home and school partnership. All those things really need teachers, they need counselors, they need their involvement. And I think that some parents though are still concerned that if you put their son or daughter on a bus that it's going to take away from extracurricular activities or that it's going to uh, prevent them from being at home longer or that the commute time. So I, I just I hope you can address that because we know that this is a controversial subject in Montgomery County and it's really split on you've you've <laughs> yes, experienced. I, I know. I know. I've, I've, exp I've seen some of the sort of the ugly side of this. What do you mean by that? What is but, the ugly side? Well, the ugly side is people call names. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've said, you know, you know, things about me that are completely, you know. On oh, Facebook so you've experienced some some blowback from your position. Well, not just it's not I wouldn't say blowback. It's some is just name calling. Uh, really about, you know, oh, you're a socialist or you're this or you're that. And I'm like, okay, fine, you know, we, I got into politics. So, yes, this is going to happen. But the, the but I want to get back to the issue. So I want to answer the question of busing, right? It is not in a, as I said, between 35 and 38% of MCPS students currently, and not even counting the magnet kids, right, do not go to the school that is closest to them. I think parents have a problem with that. I think I have a problem with that. Yes. So when you rationalize the boundaries, some of those kids are going to go to the uh, a school that is closer, therefore reducing the commute. That is going to happen. You know, that's what I think that's the beauty of this. That you're not saying that, oh, everybody's commute is going to increase. That's not what it is. I'm sure some commutes are going to increase, but also I'm 100% sure that commutes are going to reduce as well. Have you seen this model work at elsewhere other than Montgomery County? I mean, we haven't obviously we haven't tested it out yet, we're, and we're not even sure that that's what's going to happen, right? Right. But that's a discussion. It's that's a, discussion. a data. That is what people are concerned about, and of course we have to address that. But have you seen this model used elsewhere? Fairfax regularly changes, makes adjustments to boundaries regularly that's what you want to get to to be able to do it regularly over 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 time and we're a comparable school system yeah right? we're a totally comparable school system i think the expectation in fairfax is that the edges are going to move you think so yeah that's absolutely people buy their homes thinking that yes the edges are going to move and they're but is it fair if someone let's say if they move into the wooten cluster and they move into rockville and they want to they they purchase a house and you know 
house houses in Montgomery County, it's not cheap down here to live. And they specifically say, listen, I'm going to move in here with the expectation that my son or daughter is going to be going to Wooten High School. And then suddenly they're taken out of that is that what do you what do you how would you respond to that Wooten is under enrolled I think they'll get students okay <laughs> so I, I, I I'm, I'm just using Wooten as an example yeah no I, I understand that but you know where is Wooten going to go to right to Churchill or back or I, you know the, I so, hear they're going to build a new high school no, they're going to buy a new high school so 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 the things are when you are changing boundaries right you're not making them so that they are so you're not sending kids far away uh, to schools that are not comparable. Let me give you an example. So my, I have a um, kid that goes to Rockville. Last year, we almost lost our choir teacher. We lost our choir teacher because there were not enough students. She needed 0.2 FTE more to uh, be able uh, to continue. She had just moved from Florida. We had, that's her first year at the job. She'd done a phenomenal job building the choir program, but we just didn't have mm. that many, right? Meanwhile, <laughs> not two miles away in Richard Montgomery, we are putting down portable after portable, <laughs> and it's over full. Do you support portable classrooms? I don't want, per I mean, yeah. I want to reduce portable class. Safety concern? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So if I want to really work at safety, I want to reduce portable use. But, you know, even, but I want to reduce, I don't want to pay rent on portables when there is uh, space elsewhere. Rockville could very much use another 200 students and be okay with it. The thing is, can we do this in a sensible way? Right. I think it's a fair question. Yeah. Can we, depending on what the boundary analysis says, and if that's the direction that MCPS and the Board of Education choose to go, can we do this in a sensible way that makes sense for all? Okay. So, and, and, and you're going to have pushback. Oh, and, yeah. And, and you've already oh, yeah. experienced some of that. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I think that, so look, change is hard. Never easy. Yes. Right? And so it's not as if I'm expecting this to be some kind of cake. But I didn't join up to sort of do the easy stuff. Right? There's some sort of the low-hanging, you can, there's some low-hanging fruit. But that's, I, I we, we want to do all of that. But we want to get, fix the school and put it on a sound footing. Not for the next five years, but for the well into the future. So none of this is going to fix the problem overnight, by the way, Ryan, right? This is a problem that is created for 35 years. You're not going to sure. remove the calcification it, overnight. It's just like the traffic issues. We, we're not going to fix it by, let's just say they implemented reversible lanes. That's not going to fix the capacity issue. That, so, so there yeah. is a capacity, and especially up county, there's a capacity issue there. I think up county has to be built. Right. So the the problem with up county, and if you just if I just it's, this is a little bit of a diversion. The problem with up county, in my view, has been that when those all those developments were uh, sanctioned or, or approved, right, it was a different time. The philosophy of growth was different, and so that was done in eighties and nineties is when those all those developments were okay, right. By two in the two thousands when you know, they came online, we started building, the entire philosophy of planning had moved to smart growth. 
Yes. So therefore, when you say that infrastructure didn't get built of county, it's a there's been a paradigm shift in in the philosophical position in, in planning. That's why they don't have it. So, but there is no way getting around the fact that you have to build up county and provide the infra infrastructure that we promised. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's some parents up in Clarksburg that are especially concerned. Yeah, uh, and rightfully so. Yeah. So should they have released the Clarksburg study pr just prior to do a, doing a system-wide study? Mm. I don't know. That's a tough call. No, uh, well. Right? I would have waited. Mm. Yeah. Right? I'd have waited. I mean, we, they had waited for 10 years anyway. Yeah. Right? So, you know, you wait a little bit more, figure out, have consensus around a... Um, some some ideas and then move forward. I think there's a fair, transparent, and legitimate way of doing this. I think the the parts of that is we have to have an office that does this, right? We can't just do this episodically. We can't have some contractors fronting it. We have to have the leadership talk about it. We have to have the leadership own it, right? and then have an office that does the planning and the public engagement on a regular basis and, and develops that expertise. Let's slightly switch directions. Okay. And I want to ask you about some changes that you would like to make to MCPS and perhaps what is the things now that MCPS is doing well that you would keep? So the strengths of MCPS? Yes. Okay. So what, so I, th the among the most uh, the best things I found about MCPS is that we've really made some extraordinary measures with re respect to inclusion. Our work our work around the LGBTQ uh, inclusion is fantastic. Um, uh, we've just added new cur uh, sort of curriculum, um, and I think um, you know um, that's a very good part of us. Um, there is, a, I, I would say that there are lots of complaints about special education, but, you know, in the sort of, in the standard there, you know, you, you need to work on some of that. But I think we are at funding special education fairly well at, you know, levels higher than um, sort of other, other things. Uh, we are, um, we do, um, so, uh, we do, uh, you know, the high level um, sort of, um, the magnet programs pretty well. Uh, our, our magnet kids are some of the best in the world. Um, I I think the other thing that we um, we do really well actually is um, um, early childhood education for um, um, in our schools. There are a bunch of our high schools have early childhood education programs. We talk a lot about vocational education. But that often doesn't get mentioned. What about some of the weaknesses that if you were a Board of Education member and you're elected that you would want to focus in on to improve our system? Okay. So the first thing I would like to, to emphasize is content education. What does that mean? means more history. So right now, we, the, our curriculum K-8 to um, is mainly about... Uh, math skills and English literacy. That's what we measure. That's what we teach, right? But, um, but I like. I believe that you know I'm a political scientist, and I love that. <laughs> I was my undergraduate was in political science, and I, 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 
I'm sure we could talk for hours. <laughs> right. We can. We can. Uh, good choice, by the way. Uh, but nobody beca- becomes a political scientist, Ryan, and not even you, I think, because we love the science of politics. We love politics itself. Yes. Correct? Nobody becomes a botanist because they love the scientific method. Right. They love plants. Right. Correct? I, I agree with that. In fourth grade, my daughter was taught the scientific method. What a waste of time. <laughs> right? It's important to have scientific uh, language, but you know what is more important? For her to grow plants, for her to know plants, for her to n- do things with her hands, for do, to have much more sort of, if you're studying history, you study history. So really. content so, would be to add the practical into it to actually basically participate in it. Participate, do much more. Um, for example, one thing I have been w- wanting to see is more brain science and brain development um, curriculum, age appropriate, of course, right? So we talk about mental health all the time. That's right. But mental health is almost treated as if it's an auxiliary to education. Mm. It's on the side. I mean, something, an appendage that you add on, that's not what it is, right? If kids knew and studied brain science, brain development, right, They, I think they would have a much better ability to deal with what they were going through themselves. To, to process in a cognitive way that uh, would help them grow quicker. Absolutely. Yeah. And sort of manage whatever difficulties they're having. So we talk, you know, we add the counselors, but we also add curriculum. So that's what I mean by content education. Yeah. Much more focus on sort of the joy, the pure joy of learning, right? When I go, you know, you read a book and you go, aha, that's it, right? And so I would like that. So, and, and the last thing I want to see actually is in, in this respect, uh, not it's not the last thing, but one of the things that I've been thinking about really uh, a lot is to have a really rockin' student journalism program. Ah, I was just going to ask you about every that. Every high school and middle school. It is a shame when a high school doesn't have um, a newspaper. All our local newspapers are closing down. That's who will, I believe, those high school newspapers should report not just on the school, but on the community. Yes, I agree with that. And I think that that is such a important concept. And it's a great idea. And local news in Montgomery County, we're bereft of that because when the Gazette shut down, right. that was our was our primary source. Now, there's news outlets that have picked up the pieces, Maryland Matters, um, Bethesda Beat. I have to mention Caitlin Peets, who's done an excellent job. Yes, of Caitlin co- is fantastic. Caitlin is a rock star journalist who is fair, objective, unbiased, and covers the story as it is. And she has done one heck of a job at uh, Bethesda Magazine. And I'm, I'm really just so proud to see her um, accomplish it. She's really the only hands-on education reporter in Montgomery County. Imagine, but if, we could have hundreds. Right, right, imagine of Caitlin Pizzas. Right. Imagine if we had ten more podcasts, like a minor detail podcast, and ten more Adam Pagnucos who writes for Seventh State and Bethesda Magazine and Bethesda Beat. I, I, I think it's a fantastic. I idea. think those kids are in our high school. They I, are oh, in our middle school. They, they definitely are. And, and they could really change. So you know, we are tied to ranking systems given to us by the real estate uh, companies and by news, uh, by U.S. News and World Report. If we had these solid student journalism programs, my God, 
vital. We would we we could escape anything they did for. I mean, if they would not have, they would not hold us hostage with their ratings, right? A, a school like Watkins Mill that is you know ranked lower has a fantastic newspaper. It has a really fantastic newspaper. We should have more of those. Well, I'm I'm a major proponent of churning out more Washington Post and New York Times reporters in That's right. here right here in Montgomery County and, and it, you know the and Washington's full of hundreds of bureaus that need content people. I oh, mean, we boy. could fill those those internships are for taking. There is so much to consider that journalists are our frontiers in our our culture and yes. and we're at a critical juncture in American history where People are turning against journalists in a way that they define news that they don't like as fake. Right, and right. that's a tough pill to swallow, and I think it's a dangerous one at that. And I understand that the media doesn't always get it right. And if I don't get it right, my first job is to correct it, apologize, and make sure that I am scrupulous in how I collect and gather and report news. That is that is the most vital function. But I think people are being dissuaded from going into this career because they're afraid that if they do go into this career, then there's there's major repercussions. Who wants to be constantly attacked? So, you know, I, I mean, well, I think we can change the tenor of that. I hope so. By having a uh, that's what I think a really effervescent journalism scene in Montgomery County. I think that's an excellent point. I want to switch topics yep. briefly. You're being supported by some of the heavy hitters in Montgomery County. Um, uh, the uh, council president, Sidney Katz, is supporting your candidacy. Um, Councilman Hans Reamer, you've earned the Montgomery County Education Association's Red Apple. Right. Um, and right. then yep. you've also been uh, endorsed by Montgomery County Public Schools Retirees Association. Um, you, you've, uh, one thing I want to ask you about is you've, you've touted on your website uh, NARAL's Pro-Choice Pack endorsement. What? How does that relate to schools? Well, I think... The um, so that was literally the first questionnaire I filled out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so which is some I'm trying to think about what they so the I think the questions were about would you support education about reproductive health? Yes. Oh, okay. That's not even fair enough. Not even a question for me. I think that the there's a common question that stretches from all board of education candidates, from parents and teachers and students, is they want to know that you are going to be an independent voice and not be beholden to any special interest or certain political philosophies, but rather you're going to think and make decisions based on data and what's best for the school system. Of course. Absolutely. Best for students, in fact, right? Um, so I want to show this is an issue that comes over the Apple ballot, right? I mean, how, you know, what is the Apple ballot? How does it? How the do you the get Apple it? ballot is a, a, a very uh, important ballot that lists the endorsements of, of certain candidates. A lot of Apple ballot candidates typically fare very well in the primary or a general election. That's my hope. <laughs> so I want to say a little bit about, you know, I think the one part of your question, I want to address that. So so it's not, I was, I was not the natural, I mean, not the, I would say the natural choice uh, for the teachers union to make. I mean, uh, I, you know, there was, a, there's a teacher in the mix of, um, in uh, in the 13 that. Well, you're that a teacher. <laughs> I'm, yes, I'm a teacher, but I'm not a school teacher. I'm right. not a, um, a MCPS teacher. Right? Correct. Right. So the thing is that I would say that choice is bold on their part. And the choice takes into account the fact that I have independently sought to do some of, you know, 
and some of the things that need to be done for the system. Before any of this, I was talking about having parent and teacher ex um, relationships, right? I did, I uh, formed a Facebook uh, group called Parent Teacher Exchange. And every month we've been holding a happy hour for parents and, uh, and, and teachers to come together. No agenda. Just so that, you know how I said that we don't know who our teachers are? and So one Saturday afternoon, I was sitting around. I'm like, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I should just call these guys for a beer. And, and that's what, and that's, that, that's the genesis of it, right? And so I've been, I've been talking about this for a long time. I've been talking about having more teachers. And of course, when, when, uh, and they, then they, when they see what I have to say, then they will go, okay, this is the guy we want. Right, so it's these are positions I took long ago, before any uh, notion of um, so that the app ballot or anything came up. Right, I th I am quite independent as a scholar, as a professor. Sure. Right, I couldn't afford to do anything else. No, you have to source everything. <laughs> right? Not not just source everything, but you know I have this. I'm trained to be independent-minded, right? I bring 20 years of policy research. I worked at Brookings. Well, science, yeah, Brookings science by nature right. is a is an independent, it, you arrive at a conclusion by using fact-based analysis. Right, and I have, you know, I have distinct advantages uh, because of my background, yeah. right? Because not only is my job flexible, but what I do in the boardroom goes with me to my classroom and what I do with my classroom comes with me to my boardroom. Right. Those synergies are not insubstantial. Sunil, some, some of the candidates have talked about bringing fiscal responsibility to Montgomery County Public Schools and as you know most of our spending of course is on salaries, on teacher salary. Right. There isn't a lot of wiggle room in our budget. Is there anything that you would necessarily cut in our budget um would you find any success in that and is there anything that you believe should be added within our budget so i would add more hires for teachers right that's my ad that's my bottom line ask um so the way and i and the way that i would do that is by rebalancing the capital and operating budget as i explained um and i think there are substan substantial uh savings to be had um and we can, I think that we can make those changes. But at some point, if we are going to go f to fully fund our schools based on what current commission uh, recommendations are, we have to look at the revenue side. Yep. There is, I don't think, a choice in this. I mean, the we can't find money from thin air, <laughs> right? So we have to look at what possible options exist for us to be able to um, to 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 gather more revenue. So there is a, as you know, there's a um, property tax cap in, yes. in place, but there's also a state um, law that would allow um, uh, tax increases if they only went to education. Now. As part of all that, as part of this conversation, we have to have, we have to win the trust of the residents in order, of residents of Montgomery County to be able to do that. 
This is why I think the homeschool partnership is very, very important. The Board of Education by itself, on its own, right, can doesn't even have taxing authority. Yes. So it's not going to be be able to be persuasive on its own. We have to bring the residents of the county along. I think it can be done. Yeah. I think Montgomery County values public education. Oh, sure. And I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, 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 and I want to say this, is that, you know, but today it seems like that the value of public education is being undermined. And I'll say, public ed- so for something to be a public good, as you know, right, requires equal access. If there is not equal access, the public nature of public education is jeopardized. And that, in the long term, doesn't just hurt one school or one cluster. It hurts everybody, all of us. It needs. It hurts you, it hurts me, it hurts everybody. And that's why I think there is a case to be made for the county to come together, right, and make sure that the schools are appropriately funded. You mentioned the big front and center issue in state politics today, which is the Kerwin Commission recommendations. They right. were passed in the uh, the Maryland House of uh, Representatives. Right. And the other issue, of course, is the cost and how to pay for the recommendations, which has been a struggle. There right. is no definitive funding plan. Now, they did try to increase the sales tax they wanted to rather they wanted to lower the sales tax to five percent and, and broaden it and broaden the the scope of Correct. what they would tax for right. professional services. Right. That failed in committee. Right. What are your thoughts on the recommendations, and how do we fund them? I think so. Again, I don't want to speak beyond my what I think the Board of Education can or cannot of course. do. Right. Board of Education is not a taxing authority. Mm-hmm. The best thing that the Board of Education has is its pulpit. So it is persuasive. And in order for the Board of Education to succeed in getting that money that rec- uh, that Kerwin recommends, we have to win the support of the people. The, the county residents have to, they have to be mobilized. They have to. There has to be a consensus that we need to. We need to do this, and I think we. And it does not happen because, right now, I think that the home and school partnership, as I, you know, I keep talking about this, is sort of kind of broken, right? We we don't know what the school system is doing. We don't sometimes trust what the school system is doing, and they are sort of opaque in many ways. The Montgomery County Public Schools. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Do you think that they lack transparency that from the administration? Yes. How do we fix that? How do we encourage Dr. Smith and his staff to speak directly to parents? How can we get information out to parents in a way that doesn't make them feel that they're withholding? Dr. Smith is not is the superintendent, but he's not the elected representative. I think the Board of Education has an absolute responsibility to take that mantle. And do you think that they're currently failing on communication? Well, I think they haven't, um, it's not working very well. Um, I think the, um, 
half the, I think a significant part of the um, boundary controversy is because we fail to. You think that's monopolizing their 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 their. No, it's not monopolizing. I think I think there were missteps in commu- in in that communication, in sort of strategic communication around that, and and how they how they did it. They should not have put a contractor up front. They should have put themselves up front, because that's their decision to do, and that's they are the elected leaders. So, I would never do that. I would never put a twenty five year old contractor in front of a room full of um, angry parents. I would be there myself if I have to do. If I would take mm. in on a popular decision, I would be there myself. Instead of d- addressing the public as a board, they're right. saying, "Here's WXY." Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, uh, yeah. So you can that can be frustrating. Well, I mean, but but this is a job. I mean, that's what you we signed up. We are signing up for right. We we. We are signing up to represent the people. It doesn't pay very much either. <laughs> and I know that they're trying to increase the salary. Yeah, well, is that something... Would, no, I'm serious, but is that something you would support? I would support increasing the salary. But the by larger, how much? Well, you know, the commission recommended it to go above those of the delegates. That's like politically... $60,000. Uh, that's what they did. But I mean, but you, you can't ask for what more than what our uh, state delegates and senators earn. And so the real question is, is this a part-time job or a full-time job? I think Well, that's, that's a good question. Do you that's, that's I, I think a, most board of education members would say that it's a it's a full-time gig. I so if you want the board of education to govern properly, I I would imagine that it it would be a full-time gig. It's a 3 billion dollar operation. Yes. Right? Yes. Honestly, that's bigger than the county council in some ways. Yes. Because it, in terms of discretionary spending, the county only has about a billion dollars, mm-hmm. right? And now, of course, you know not all of the three billion in the MCPS budget is discretionary, but still, it's it's a it's a one heck of a lot of money, right? Right. And so, in order to properly do it, I think that's one big part. I think the second part is that it doesn't have staff, right? And without staff, without independent sort of um, um, ana- analytical ability. I think decisions are poorly made. I have an advantage because I have a you know training in this kind of thing, but even I mean even I can't do everything. So one of so there's a I think there's a program evaluation team in what is called the Office of Shared Accountability. Maybe pull them out and put them in under BOE. I I you know they, we have to think innovatively uh, about how you how we do this. Um, there are lots of changes in that kind. I don't, I'm not sure you were asking me about those kinds of changes earlier, but yes, there are lots of sort of administrative, organizational governance changes uh, that happen in in, in, uh, in that are yeah. necessary for the BOE. Look at you know there was this kid with uh, you know who came and t- started wanting um, he wanted uh, to apply toilet paper. So the great. But honestly, shouldn't there be a constituent services arm of the BOE that takes care of that kind of thing? I mean, how did it happen that the that the student felt unheard up until the point that he had to go to a public hearing? Hmm. Right. Another time, I heard about you know uh, light bulbs at the public at, at this public hearing. Fine, let's create a uh, an, uh, a small office that does constituent services. All political leaders do it. All political leaders have constituent services. Oh yes, right. That's a key function of their right. their role. So, yes, so that so we I understand that, and so we can do that, right? 
So there are changes like that that can that are very important to be made. So Neil, we spoke briefly about Superintendent Jack Smith. How would you grade his performance thus far? What do you think that he has done well and what perhaps could he be doing better? Right. So first of all, in the way the system is set up, the way the system should work is that there ought to be a collaborative approach between the board and the superintendent, right? Correct. Um, there, so Dr. Smith has done some fantastic work with uh, data on equity. He has done uh, significant changes with how about uh, with magnet selection, and that's another one of the good points about um, MCPS. By the way, um, you know they've made universal magnet selection so that you know parents that don't know about you know all of the sort of the the details of the, all of this, their their kids are uh, um, have the same chances that your kids and my kids have. Um, so there are some great things that have happened, uh, I think, uh, but also equally, the missteps around the boundary study are significant. The missteps, uh, we um, he did a internal reorganization, um, which was announced and not consulted about, I think, in the system and caught many people by surprise. Uh, I thought, um, you know, somebody said that, oh, in a business, a CEO should be allowed to do that. Yes, but, you know, Dr. Smith's not running a business, right? He's, no, he's he, running he's, an, yeah, an inter- a public trust. Yeah. It, it, I've heard students, I've heard parents, I've heard a community express outrage and concern over what has happened at Damascus High right. School. Right, And they, they point to the MCPS administration and say, you guys really bungled this. It right. could have been handled better. Right. What do you make of that? How would you respond to the parents' concerns over at Damascus? So, I like to say half-jokingly that nobody can accuse MCPS of clear communication. <laughs> uh, but I only, I mean, they, sometimes it's, it's, it's um, I, I mean that half in jest. Um, the, uh, I think there has, there has to be much better sort of organization of communication and sort of a belief that transparency is important. The belief that we are in this together um, and that, you know, by telling the truth, we don't hurt ourselves, but we make ourselves better. I absolutely believe that is true. And if, you know, I have the opportunity to be on the board, I will push for those things. Also, you know, I'm, I'm not... Um, I don't shy away from um, sort of putting my foot down. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if it comes to that, I'm absolutely willing willing to fight it out. Let me ask you uh, a, a, a bit of a side question. It might be an oddball. I saw a picture of you that you posted on your campaign Facebook page, and you're standing in front of a window at a Board of Education candidate forum of which you were not invited right. to participate. Right. Now. Some people said that you showed up uninvited on private property, and they they referred to it as creepy. How would you respond to that? I don't think so. I mean, you know, I went there. I handed out literature. I was fairly open about it. We took a picture. 
Uh, I'm not, you know, I don't think I committed a crime or violated any pro property. Uh, if if I did, they should they should go to the police. Uh, I <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about, really. Uh, well, I, I there was there's some parents that had expressed concern that you weren't invited, but you showed up sure. uninvited. Sure, I mean, but you know, it's public property. It's uh, actually it was private property. I, on the I, street. I, well, you were on in front of the window. Right. So, uh, I'm not, you know, so I'm not sure that, you know, this, uh, there was a public for sort of public forum going on. Um, I, I, you know, it, it's just so, so the, what the picture shows really is exclusion. Right. You to me, you were you were excluded from the forum because yeah. of a position. Oh yeah, I, I, on boundary. I would, I would imagine. I mean, so, so, you you know, we have to take. This is. I don't think of politics as war. That's a good thing because many people do. <laughs> I I don't think about it that way, and that is one aspect of american politics that i would like to preserve hmm. there are places in this world where politics is war and i do not want to be those places right it is they excluded me i call them elitists through the picture and that's about it if they believe that i, vi I that i committed some crime in that process they should go to the police well, let me ask you another topic just to move on. Many parents are concerned that MCPS, that they're, they're only challenging students performing at grade level or below, but they're not necessarily challenging or focusing on students at advanced levels who are above grade level. What would you say to that? What would be a solution from the Board of Education to tackle that problem? I have that problem at home. With your student, with your, with your, yeah, I mean, so. We I do too. Our son is has performed exceptionally well and there are times where he feels that he could be challenged or pushed just a little bit further however he is inundated with homework as a high school sophomore which is a good thing because we know that he's learning at home <laughs> good 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 <laughs> but so i want so, so i've had this problem we've had in, uh, this problem at home for a long time and you know me at most parent teacher conferences you know what i hear most is like Keep doing what you're doing, Mr. Descripta. Now, that's not very helpful, um, I, but I realized that the teacher, given the, their, her workload, cannot do any better given, for my child. She must and she does need to focus on the kids that are falling behind. And one of the reasons I became involved in schools is because I wanted to make sure that those kids in my children's classrooms that were running slower than them became faster. So f when my son was in maybe sixth grade, I spent an entire year every Wednesday afternoon going to the school library to help students with homework. Because I said to myself, unless those kids start to do well, my children are not going to see the attention, get the attention that they need. I think that's the way to fix it. I think we are all in this 
together and for me to get some kind of you know special attention when another child sitting next to my uh, son is probably falling behind is I think a little bit sort of selfish from my point of view that's not everybody's point of view I would like all those kids to run as fast as my child and then surely the teacher would be able to pay attention to there's, there's many that. variables in how students are educated post the class after the classroom after they get home I mean there's there's so much there's it's a lot of complexities to oh how, absolutely how education oh, absolutely is administered but, but in America that school is going to level the playing field at least in theory I think that's a, 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 a fair we statement. We should absolutely try for that to happen. Let me ask you about the student member of the board. Do you think that the student member of the board should be given the authority to vote on budgetary matters? Sure. Okay, even if they're not skilled in making those decisions? I think the last few student members have been rock solid there. I mean, I I would like my kids to become them. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's fair. I think, though, parents are concerned that they have authority to make dec- a decision at that age on a, a billion dollar, uh, you know, three billion dollar budget. There are seven other people. <laughs> I understand. Right. I, I understand. And and, and and I think I would hold those seven other people. If there is an error, I would hold those seven other uh, people f- um, responsible first. So I so look, I've talked to all the student members um not extens you mean know, not equally with all of them but ananya for example tarikanda was part of the mental health and wellness forum from the beginning right right i want my girls i want my boy to be like ananya she is extraordinary that is i she can i am happy to have her take the responsibility to make those decisions and I think she has consistently shown that she'd made good decisions look at she is the one that pushed the boundary study by the way right we've been waiting 35 years for it and it took a high school senior to make it happen but I think there's a counter argument though that I've heard from other from from parents to say that look they're Yes, while they are elected by the uh, the school boards collectively to serve as a student member of the board, yeah. However, they're not elected. Their their name is not on a ballot like your name sure. is, and they've also I've heard parents discuss about student member of the board chairing a committee. Are you supportive of that? Sure. I I again I think those those students are again. Look at the look at the spate of students. Look at the should they series. be paid? Absolutely. How much? Often, I mean, so in in the scheme of the MCPS budget, it's really sort of insignificant. These, oh, I, these I, payments. I, no, I hear you on that, but I, I don't think that there's any taxpayer dollars that would be considered insignificant. However. Um, it is a concern among parents that who believe that they they should not be paid. However, 
the last couple of student members of the board, as you said, rock stars. Rock stars, totally rock stars. Yes. I mean, so if they got a, get, got some money for their work, right? And I think that's a good thing. I mean, we want to encourage kids to run for SMOB that don't have the resources at home to be able to support that kind of activity, right? We want to widen the pool. We want to get in kids that are incredible, but perhaps don't have the uh, the wherewithal, right? That's why I think. And when I I don't mean by by the way, I, I, every dollar is every taxpayer dollar is precious. I'm not saying that, but you know, in terms of what we spend on various things, right? The you know. Whatever amount of money that we will spend on the salaries of all the board members together is going to be very, very little. Um, And you know, the larger question is: Does the board have, um, you know, staff to be able to make good decisions? Is the board is the work of the board full time or part time? Right? Does the board do? Is the board's primary responsibility just to appoint the superintendent and then step back? I think it's you're making complex, high-level financial decisions for a an enterprise worth three billion dollars. Correct. So I I I think those are the real sort of questions to be asking, right? What is what is the relationship between the board uh, and and staff? How does the board uh, assert and monitor uh, its its uh, its its authority, uh, its prerogatives, uh, its interests, right? Um, there is, you know, some people will say, oh, you know, staff drives the board, right? Uh, and it's not the first time you'd have heard that, right? right? But I don't think that's entirely true. But what I think those, if we can answer those structural issues, we'll go much more further than, you know, the, the controversy over the, you know, how much a student member really gets paid, whether it's a scholarship or money and how much money, mm-hmm. you know, to me, sort of that's, somewhat of a sideshow. You're probably aware that a number of MCPS students have committed offenses that are violent in nature. Um, would you be in favor of allowing students, those students, to remain in our in our classrooms, or would you be in favor of moving said students to an alternative school where they might be better served and not be a threat to the student population? I think it depends on case to case by case. Um, I so overall, if you look at the disciplinary situation, um, part of the problem is also that you know kids of color are uh, disciplined at much higher rates than uh, disproportionately. Disproportionately. Um, So in you know, I'm not you know I want all our kids to succeed, right? And obviously, safety is is very, very important. But there are ways to achieve safety. Having more counselors, if a kid is acting out, right, do you think that kid does not suffer from trauma? It's a good question in finding out what's going on behind the scenes. That's what I'm that's what I would like to see in terms of safety. That's what I would like to see us go in terms of safety to f- to understand, you know, wh- how we can deal with the trauma behind it. 
does that kid have a trusted adult in the school? If all the counselors are busy, not available to students, you can't see them, you know, come back three days later, we'll give you an appointment. That's not the way to run the system. So to me, I would, compl I would look at safety much more comprehensively than it is currently looked at. So Neil, there's numerous instances of MCPS employees who have been arrested for and convicted of sexual assault um, and sexual malfeasance. And we've seen it with, as, as far as school bus drivers, longtime trusted uh, school bus drivers. Uh, this is an issue that is incredibly serious that is facing our public school systems. How would we address this? How can we get better and make better personnel decisions? So I, so it is my understanding that we could tighten up a little bit on, on the on the background checks and all of that. But a lot of the cases are first time cases, and of course you don't nothing comes out uh, in a background check when somebody commits a crime for the first time. Um, I think the biggest issue, and I've talked to a bunch of people about this, the biggest issue is. Are we reporting to law enforcement early enough? And I think perhaps we may not be doing that entirely. I think there has to be a culture in the schools where any crime of that nature is reported immediately to the police. I think if there's a crime, if there's a possibility of a crime, if you suspect one, then the rightful people to investigate thereafter is the police. MCPS should hand that over. I think that's a big, big I think concern among the uh, child protection activists. I think we've we've covered a lot tonight. All right. And uh, it's been really informative. And oh, I so you. appreciate your time on this Wednesday evening. And I know how busy you are. You're, you have a plenty of upcoming forums that you're going to be attending. And I can't even count them all. I, me neither. Yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> right? I, I have a uh, campaign volunteer that's sort of keep <laughs> staying on top of that for me. Are you... Um, are you participating in the campaign finance side where you're raising money and people can go and donate? And oh, yeah. Okay. Why don't you plug your website? SunilDasGupta.com. If you believe in the things that I've talked about today, uh, please go and join us there. So what else um, as far as this month? Um, where can people find you? Um, any upcoming forums? Is there any forums this week or weekend? I think the next forum is 15th, but again, we are going to put up all the forums on our website. Uh, if you don't follow us on Facebook, please do. Uh, Sunil for School Board. If you're on Twitter, Sunil Dasgupta4. My Instagram is weak. Oh, you have an Instagram page. That's impressive. <laughs> yes, but it is weak. It's it's a weak game. I'm working on it. I'm your, working on it. Your, your kids, my, my 13-year-old daughter, of course, we have her Instagram account locked down. But then then again, she is so much more proficient than I. I only, Insta I only Instagram like when there's a really cool picture. My kids are not on social media at all. Oh, yeah. My, I mean, we don't even. That's our son. He doesn't want anything to do with it. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> we've we we've we've been very privacy focused. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's smart. Kids. That's um, extremely smart. 
uh, and you know, I don't know if you'll end up using a picture of, of the family for the for the campaign, but that's not a small decision for us. No, no, I that's it's a it's a it's a very important one too, Sunil. I want to thank you for for coming over to Gaithersburg tonight and have this conversation. Um, it has been such a pleasure to to speak with you, and I thank you for joining the podcast for the first time. And I wish you the best of luck ahead. And the race uh, concludes on. April the 28th, that is the primary, the primary where Marylanders go out. And I just heard today that because of the coronavirus, they may be interested in moving it to a mail-in ballot. So who knows what's going to happen? Who knows? Right? We're, we're, yeah. we're spitballing on that. But I believe that early voting begins the 13th. and That's uh, 16th. 16th. And then it extends until the 23rd. Correct. 16th to 23rd early voting. Primary day is 28th as of now. Right. I'm sure you're out door knocking and oh, I'm door knocking and doing <laughs> yeah all of it all of it yeah. Uh, we have a great um, uh, campaign manager, Chris Wilhelm, uh, who ran for county council. Yes, he came. Uh, I think he placed six or seventh. Yeah, I mean yeah. he did fantastic. And, yeah. and Chris is a great guy, and he you know he knows this much better than I do. He tells me what to do, and I <laughs> you and, just and, do and it, I, and, I, and I show up. Yeah, I want to say you know Gaithersburg is to me becoming a food place uh, to come to eat. Do you have a favorite restaurant in Gaithersburg? So we just got uh, sushi from Yuraku yeah, uh, just yeah. recently. Uh, I love going to Don Jorge. Yeah. For, and, you know, there's a um, the father-daughter team that sings, uh, like, um, uh, Spanish songs uh, on really? the weekend. That's <laughs> just lovely, totally lovely. If you like Italian food, yeah. may I recommend a place directly across the street adjacent to Quince Orchard High School? It's in the shopping center where the Dunkin' Donuts is in the Shell Station. Uh-huh. It's called Cafe Roma. Okay. My wife and I are frequent visitors to this really fantastic low-key Italian restaurant. It's authentic. The food is excellent. The service is great. We are there at least once or twice or maybe three times a month. So Good, because we, we are always looking for Italian food. La Piazza is too. Yeah. La Pizzicua. No, El Pizzicua. I keep making this mistake. Off a of goodie. Uh, yeah, off of Goody. That is fantastic. We we had Valentine's Day there two years ago. <laughs> awesome place. You don't think of it as much when you see outside. It right, looks right. it doesn't look but once you get in, you you feel like you're transformed in in, in Italy. Yeah, but with six people it's gonna be really hard, really bet. a lot of money. So so thanks for Cafe Roma. That's right, Cafe Roma. Sunil, thank you so much for doing this. I wish you the best of luck in your Board of Education race, and I'm sure I'm going to see you out and about. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Ryan. You bet. Maryland's 2020 primary election is Tuesday, April the 28th. Early voting begins Thursday, April the 16th, and it concludes on Thursday, April the 23rd. Be sure to check out a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. A Minor Detail podcast is on the web at aminordetailpodcast.com. For Maryland political news, please visit aminordetail.com. I'm Ryan Miner. Thanks for listening.